Hi everyone, welcome back to Sweaty Pits and Health Tips. This is episode two. Um, we're going to be talking today about STIs, and which is a very interesting and fun topic to me. Um, just a couple statistics to get us started off, which I found very shocking. Um, one in two sexually active persons will contract an STI by age 25. Um, even though young people account for half of new STI cases, a recent survey showed only about 12% were tested for STIs in the last year, which is a big deal. Um, and then the last one is the CDC estimates that undiagnosed STIs cause 24,000 women to become infertile each year, which is crazy. Um, but once again, my name is Cody. Um, I am kind of the host for this. Sadly, Zoe is out sick. She is like, she walked in earlier and we basically told her to go home because she looked like she was going to die. Um, but I do have a fun guest for us today. Her name is Leslie Deal. Um, she actually works for the University of North Carolina Charlotte in the Center for Wellness Promotion. So here's Leslie. Hey everybody. My name's Leslie Deal, like Cody said, and I've been teaching sexual health at the collegiate level for... 15 years now. So I've definitely got a lot of experience talking about sexually transmitted infections and contraception and all the nuances in between. So I'm excited about today's talk. Me too. And she is just chock full of information. And I just love always talking about STIs with her and just random facts about herpes and chlamydia, our favorite topics. Um, so we're just going to dive into this. Um, let's see. So we're going to talk about first, what's the difference between an STI and an STD, because that's very important. Um, so an STI is a sexually transmitted infection, um, but an STD is a sexually transmitted disease. Um, there's a lot of controversy when it comes to those terminology, because there's a lot of stigma attached to STD, because if you have a disease, then a lot of people assume that you're not going to be cured from that disease. I'm correct, right, Leslie? Yeah, so the Center for Disease Control and Prevention came out mm, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, and they were trying to decrease stigma around sexually transmitted diseases. So they said that changing the word to infection would then communicate to people in a clearer way that all sexually transmitted diseases are not incurable. So we know that most sexually transmitted diseases are actually curable and all of them are in fact treatable. So if you get something, it's not the end of the world. And I think that's really the message about what we're talking about today. So you're going to hear us use sexually transmitted infection because infection, the word infection itself implies that it's treatable or curable. And the CDC also said that the word infection sounds better and it's more normalized. So if, you know, somebody has an infection, it's not going to be the end of the world because they've had an infection before and they know life will go on. Right. And it's like, I've had so many sinus infections in my time, um, my, my time acting like I've been here for thousands of years. Um, but it's kind of crazy to think how the term disease just has so much more weight to it. Yes. So I agree completely. And so it's very interesting to me. I found a couple articles and I'll post these and we'll talk about resources later. Um, but I found this article from Hunter Hansfield. Um, he is professor at the Washington University Center of AIDS and STD, um, LOL. Um, but it says, 
he's making an argument for both terms, and he says those who prefer either term should use it freely with neither defensiveness and nor pride in either one, which I found that very interesting because I think that's just kind of leading back, and I'm sure you can comment on this too, Leslie, but also kind of leading back to just the fact of we just need to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, everybody deals with certain things when it comes to sex. And one of the things that especially a lot of younger folks deal with and don't really know how to deal with because of lack of proper sex education is, you know, the consequences of sex and unprotected sex. And so if we talk about it more often and normalize it, then it's going to make more people get tested. And that means more people will get treated and in most cases cured. Right. And then there's another one I found It's from a medical linguist, uh, Janet Bryan Anderson. She has her PhD, and she argued that we do, or that we need to propose a new terminology for the whole STI, STD um, thing, and it's called Sexually Transmissible Infectious Disease, and it's short STID, um, which I find that really interesting as well. I mean, I think it's adorable. I think it's kind of cute, too. Anything that's going to get people to go out and get tested more often is great. Um, I don't know if the world is ready for that many (laughs) letters in the acronym, because it's been really difficult to get them to switch from STD to STI. And so adding in something else, I just don't, I don't know if it will actually take hold, but I like what, I like how she's thinking. We love any kind of new thought on terminology. Um, so that's kind of like the layout of STI, STD terminology, but basically just like the gist of it is that um, with most infections, there's a lack of like a chronic disease. So that's why we're going with the terminology STI for this podcast. Um, So we're going to start like going into common STIs. Um, So the first one is going to be HPV. um, And that's actually one of the highest number of viral STIs internationally. Um, Period. <laughs> yeah, so so it depends on whether you're talking about viral or bacterial sexually transmitted infection. So the most common viral sexually transmitted infection that there is is HPV. HPV does have more incidents and diagnoses than chlamydia. So chlamydia is the most common bacterial sexually transmitted infection, which we'll be talking about both of these today in the podcast. Uh, But overall, when it comes to all sexually transmitted infections, HPV is the most common. Yeah. And that one is transmitted orally. Orally, vaginally, vaginally, anally. So every orifice. All the orifices. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) And so the other cool thing I wanted to mention about HPV is there's the new vaccine, the Gardasil shot. Um, which I would find, I mean, I've got it because I participate in sexually things. Um, so I've got it to protect myself. Um, but there's also a lot of controversy around it too. There's a lot of controversy around Gardasil and I don't know that it's all warranted controversy. I think that, you know, anytime we're trying to do something new and you're talking about injecting something into someone, you know, people are going to get a little nervous. People get, people get nervous and that's understandable, especially when you're talking about inoculating someone's child when they're young. (laughs) Uh, But I do think that, that, that Gardasil is a good thing. I wish all people would get Gardasil. 
originally when it came out, it was intended for folks with a vagina, and that's who it was originally prescribed for, ages 9 to 26. And then they shortly, very shortly after Gardasil was released, it was approved for men. And now they've gone a step further in in vaccinating more folks in that they say instead of 9 to 26, which was the original FDA-approved age range for vaccination, they've now extended it into 40s. So they're, you know, any man, woman, person that wants to get vaccinated between the ages of 9 and I want to say it's 45, it might be 48, but 9 into your 40s can get vaccinated. And even if you already have a strand of HPV, you can still get the Gardasil vaccine and it will protect you from the other strains that you don't have. Right. And I think the statistic on that was, isn't it like one in three or one in two? um, It's four out of five people who are sexually active will have a strand of HPV in their lifetime, right. whether or not they know it. So 80% of folks... 80%, that's the that's 80% what I was of, of folks yeah. will have a strand of HPV in their lifetime if they are sexually active. Yeah, and that's crazy. And that's why they recommend getting the vaccine so young so you can start preventing against other strains, correct? Correct. Yeah, which is crazy to me that they, like, threw all the way up to 45. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Originally, I believe, and you can quote me on this, I guess, because I'm on a podcast, but <laughs> originally, I believe the age range was intended to focus on folks who are more likely to engage in promiscuous activities. Mm-hmm. And so they thought, well, you know, after they get into their 30s, they're probably less so, but no. No. <laughs> Sex <laughs> so, happens all the time. So, um, yeah, I mean, check out the the retired folks. Yeah. Um, what do they call them? Assisted living homes. Mm-hmm. Lots of sexually transmitted infections in yeah, those places. So. I've heard about that, which is kind of wild to me. <laughs> but I guess it makes sense. It does. Okay. So that's HPV. And for the next one, herpes. Um, so this one is very commonly diagnosed. Um, so there is two different strands. There's HS1, um, which commonly is referred to like as more of an oral strand before. We'll get into that in a minute. And then HS1. S2, which is more of the, like for the pubic areas, um, and but it used to be this way, but now they interact with both. Yeah, so originally, like Cody said, when herpes was first being talked about, it was thought that herpes simplex 1 was only oral, and that's what you see a lot of times when people have cold sores or fever blisters, as they often refer to them as, which I don't like that language. I think you should call it herpes, mm-hmm. because then you're very you know, sure about what it is. Right. There, there is no cold sores and fever blisters that are not herpes. So if you have them, you have herpes. And it's important for you to know that so that you can protect other people. So most people who have herpes simplex one orally did not get it in a sexual way. They got it when they were younger from a family member who like kissed them around the holidays and they had lowered immunity. Congratulations. And, you got yes. herpes from your aunt when yes. you're in Christmas. Appreciate you. <laughs> So, but that's how it typically happens. And herpes simplex 2 was historically thought to be affecting the genital area. But now, because we are into the oral genital stimulation, Mm -hmm. the cunnilingus and the fellatio, if you will, and even the analingus, there is herpes simplex 1 that is now found genitally and herpes simplex 2 that is found orally. So it has definitely, yes, it has transcended the boundaries and um, now you can find them in both spots. Wow, that's super interesting, but also kind of nerve-wracking. Yes. Okay, that's herpes. Mm -hmm. 
And just to get, just to kind of follow up on this, we're being very brief with this because going for the future, if we continue to do this for a long term, we hope to kind of do a podcast for each of these because there's so much you can talk about with each of these things. Um, but the next one is chlamydia, which is has the highest number of bacterial STIs in the United States and even on campus at UNC Charlotte. Yeah. Which is really awesome. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, I remember when I actually went to East Carolina University for undergrad and grad school. And I remember when I went away to school, everybody was like, Leslie, you need to be really careful. Like everybody there has chlamydia, has the stuff, you know, all the the stuff. Um, And and it's true. Yeah. There is is lots. Um, You know, whatever the national average is for a certain sexually transmitted infection, a college campus is going to have 10 times higher than that when it comes to infection rates. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, you know, some of it is promiscuity. A lot of it is not using um, condoms and other barrier methods to prevent transmission. So we've talked about herpes and HPV, and you can wear condoms to help you to help reduce the risk of contracting those viruses. With chlamydia though, because it is a fluid transfer, if people would just wear condoms and the condom doesn't break and they use it from the beginning of the sexual activity to the end, then condoms are an extremely effective method of preventing the transfer of chlamydia. But even knowing that and even providing free condoms to our students, we still diagnose chlamydia constantly yeah and i'm sure like according to the statistics we looked at it's been increasing correct yes all of i can't think of a single sexually transmitted infection that has decreased transmission except for possibly hiv because of prep right but i haven't looked at that so don't quote me on that but if i'm thinking of like one sexually transmitted infection that might have decreased it might be hiv transmission because of prep but yeah definitely not chlamydia Okay, and also another super interesting thing about chlamydia is the statistic I said earlier about that the SD, not STD, the uh, <laughs> CDC estimates that undiagnosed STIs cause 24,000 women to become infertile each year is actually related to chlamydia um, because of pelvic inflammatory disease, uh, PDI for short, and then... Um, do you want to, I know you're very yeah, knowledgeable. Yeah, so pelvic inflammatory disease is something that does affect women, and it happens when chlamydia is left untreated. So I tell students when I go into class all the time, like, I would rather have chlamydia than the flu. And right. a lot of students think that that's really disgusting because they know <laughs> that chlamydia is sexually transmitted and the flu is not, although it could be. Um, <clears throat> so... The fact of the matter is that 80% of folks, um, people with a penis or people with a vagina, have no symptoms for chlamydia. So if you're not getting tested for chlamydia and you're just waiting for discharge or bumps or redness or irritation, that may never happen for you. So you may have chlamydia for two years before you have, you know, lower abdominal pain in your pelvis um, as a woman and realize that you've had undiagnosed chlamydia and now you are going to be infertile because the infection has actually uh, made scar tissue that forms inside of the fallopian tubes and prevents an egg from traveling down them. And there's also infertility that can happen with a people with a penis and um, epididymitis. So epididymitis can happen for um, a person with a penis that has untreated chlamydia and it's sort of the infection sets up shop in the epididymis, which is the top part of the testicle where the mature sperm are stored 
and if that happens it can actually make someone permanently sterile so chlamydia is not a big deal it's really not as long as you're getting tested for it regularly right yeah. and we'll talk about some of those prevention strategies later as well um, because they're pretty simple and straightforward uh-huh. and shouldn't be scary right Correct. um I was gonna say something now I totally forgot anyways <laughs> we'll move on to the next one um gonorrhea the clap such an interesting phrase. Lots of people think that the chlamydia is it's the clap. Because see, I would assume, not. yeah. Well, chlamydia, the cl- it sounds very similar, but actually, gonorrhea is the clap. And I was doing some like research on like why it's called the clap. What did you find? There's a couple different things I found. I'm pretty sure the first one was it's some kind of like French term. Okay. The clapier or something like that. Okay. I'm botching that. I've never heard that one. Yeah, there was one like that, and then there was another one because, I don't remember what the term is, but it refers to, like, a brothel. Okay. That's another one. Or, the third one I saw is about the clapping sound that results from, I don't know. I can tell you what my papa told me. Okay, I'm scared. So, papa, t- papa was in the Navy uh-huh. for 32 years, so, you know, lots of... Lots, Lots of stuff of going on there. Yeah. Um, but he said that the that the clap referred to whenever a guy would come in and would have gonorrhea, that they would actually use like one of those mallet things that they hit your knee with, and they would hit the head of your penis, and <gasps> stuff would shoot out of it, and they called that the clap. Oh, they would clap it. I now, literally I just felt nauseous. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's disgusting. That that's real, but that's what Papa told me. Um, my family spoke very openly about sexual health stuff all the time. So, well, that kind of is reflecting on you. See, yeah. So yeah. I think I think Papa might have been right, though. I'm not going to lie. That's interesting. I think, I think that one sounds really accurate. We'll have to do some more research on that. Yeah. So, uh, but but the the issue right now with gonorrhea is that there are super strands. Um, mm-hmm. as they are being referred to, and the super strands are antibiotic resistant. Right. So, you know, when you think about typically, typically viral infections are not curable. They are mm-hmm. only treatable. And typically bacterial infections are curable. Right. That's becoming not the case with gonorrhea. Scary. Yes. So what we need to do about that is wear condoms every time we're having sex, whether it's oral, vaginal, anal, whatever type of sex you're having, there needs to be a barrier method because prevention is key when it comes to, to a, a, a bacteria that may or may not be antibiotic resistant. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And the thing about chlamydia and gonorrhea is they are just a fluid transfer. Correct. So literally, if you stop the fluid, then you'll stop the gonorrhea. You'll stop the clap. You don't have to get your penis hit with a mallet. That is 100% correct. And I don't believe they still do the hitting of the penis so. with the mallet. Um, but, uh, I don't know, there, there could be some old school folks out there still practicing. Yeah, such, I mean, but... you never know. Especially up in the mountains, North Carolina. Yes, that's what's really great about... But, you know, fluid transfer is that you can wear a condom and prevent the fluid from transferring and you're going to prevent the sexually transmitted infection. Right. Condoms are the best defense that we have against skin-on-skin contact transmission, but they are not fully, you know, effective at preventing things like herpes and HPV. And so I make sure, and Cody makes sure, whenever Mm -hmm. we're talking about these things, we always say safer sex. Right. Um, or the safest that you can have. Because sex is not safe. There is no safe sex. There's there's always risk associated anytime you share your body with another human. Right. And also since we're talking about talking about terminology, um, whenever Leslie refers to um, a person with a penis mm-hmm. or a person with a vagina, we're just trying to be very inclusive 
about who we're talking about because you have to be really careful about that. Yes. I mean, especially, you know, when we're thinking about trans folks, you know, just because you have a vagina does not then make you a woman. So, and this is all, you know, new things that we're trying to do and like new language. So I definitely stumble sometimes and I'll say man or woman, which there are men and women. So there's nothing wrong with saying that, but he's correct. If you hear me say a person with a vagina or a person with a penis, they, you know, they just, uh, that is what they have. Well, it's all about like how you identify because Mm -hmm. I mean, even the next one we're talking about syphilis and I was going to mention how there's a rise in syphilis in the MSM community, which is men who have sex with men. But the reason why we have to use that terminology is because not all MSMs identify as gay. Correct. Yeah. And so we, you know, whenever folks are going out into the community and doing testing for, you know, HIV, for instance, they don't say, are you gay or are you homosexual? Right. Or which we don't even use that term anymore. But, what, right. you know, we don't ask that question because Cody's right. You know, they just because they've had sex with a man doesn't mean that they consider themselves gay. So it's it's all about the activity. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's a really important that you're inclusive because we want to include everyone. Sure. Um, and so going back to what I was saying, syphilis, um, there are three stages of syphilis. Um and then, like I said earlier, there's a rise in syphilis in the MSM community. And also, the rates in Charlotte are crazy high. Um, I think you said that it's even it's one of the highest. Yeah, yeah. The, Charlotte has the highest syphilis rates in the southeast United States. They did. I'm not sure if, if Atlanta or somewhere else has taken over. Um, but it's definitely super high rates in Charlotte. Not on UNC Charlotte's campus but in the Charlotte and surrounding communities. So, and, and I have a few thoughts on why that is, but we're not going to get into that now because we can talk about that on a different episode. Right. (laughs) Um, the, you know, syphilis is, um, increasing. We are diagnosing more on campus, even though it's not a lot more, it's, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's statistically significant. So we're noticing that. And there are three stages of syphilis, primary, secondary, and tertiary. In the primary phase, that's when the bacteria first enters someone's body. You will notice a painless chancre at the point where the bacteria entered the body. And a chancre is just like a sore. Yeah, it's like a sore. Um, it looks like a sore, but they say they, whoever they are, says it's painless. It's a painless sore, but it looks scabby and it doesn't look like it would feel very good. But um, that happens at the point where the bacteria enters the body. So whether it's oral, vaginal, anal, uh, you know, around the penis or the scrotum, it could be in any of those places. And once you have that sore, um, there's your 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 first sign. There um, it is. But some people ignore that. and Because, I mean, you get random sores all the time. No, well, yeah. Well, ones, I don't know if ones that look like that but yeah I mean it, it, it I understand it but it, I mean and I think that's a good time to mention that anytime you have a random sore or bump or anything on your penis or around oh, your yeah. vagina those are those are different than having a rash on your arm well then also <laughs> I was looking about syphilis and you can also get them on your mouth right yes you can have the shankers on your mouth so so the primary phase that's the characteristic of it is that shanker and so during that time you were very contagious even when the sore goes away, you're still very contagious. Um, a couple, several weeks later, you will notice the secondary stage starting to happen, which is characterized by a fleshy rash on the palms of the hands or the soles of the feet. Most commonly, it can be found in other places as well, including the mouth. So mm-hmm. any type of fleshy rash <clears throat> in that way. And then 
after that happens, and actually while that's happening, you are still highly contagious mm-hmm. um, and infectious for other folks. And then after that clears up, the syphilis goes into the dormant stage. Um, so the tertiary stage, it, the the bacteria goes sort of dormant and doesn't really cause any issues. And for for about seventy percent of folks, it may not cause any issues ever. Right. For the other thirty percent, it can cause issues with. Um, major bodily organs, your lungs and your heart and your brain, and can ultimately lead to death um, for about 30% of folks. Do you know why it only does that for 30%? I have no idea. We'll have to do some more research on that because I'm very interested. We'll have to do that before we do the podcast just on syphilis. Right, we will. Okay, the next one is hepatitis. So there's also three different types of hepatitis or three strains. Um, There's hepatitis A, which you can contract that from improperly prepared meats um or from anal and oral um but more it's like more commonly contracted through uh prepared meats um b hepatitis b is through sex or penetration of some kind and then c is through piercings and tattoos and i know a lot of the prison population they get a lot of hepatitis c from um improper use of needles and things like that in prisons or if you um use a lot of like intravenous drugs as well yeah we don't see a whole lot of hepatitis on campus we do diagnose it occasionally but like he said the the improperly prepared meats and anal oral sex so hepatitis a um is associated with anal oral sex so if you're engaging in analingus you would want to do things that will make it more sanitary so you want to prevent fecal material from being in your mouth because that is a direct cause for hepatitis A. Um, and any strand of hepatitis that you get is not curable. It is only treatable. And the tests are blood tests for hepatitis. Um, hepatitis B, like Cody said, is from penetrative sex. And then C is piercings and tattoos. So um, lots of fans of piercings and tattoos around here in the area and on mm-hmm. our campus. We just want to make sure that you're getting them in the safest ways. So make sure you're going to a legit piercing facility, a legit tattoo facility. Don't let your roommate tattoo and pierce you. Don't do a, what is it called? A stick and poke or something? A what? It's a stick and poke. I don't know what that is. It's like where they like take the needle and they individually like stick it. Oh Lord. I know a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of Uh -uh. people do that. No, no. No, no, no. That's Um, like pretty common. Okay. Well, um, I don't do any more stick and pokes. No more stick and pokes, people. Whether that's tattoos or penetration. Yes, correct. (laughs) Okay. Um, And so, last but not least, one of my absolute favorite topics is HIV. Um, So, uh, HIV, human immunodeficiency virus. Um, it affects commonly MSM communities, but it can affect anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, HIV and AIDS are, uh, completely different. AIDS is a a result of HIV of the virus and it's a syndrome because it affects your immune system. Um, also going into that, there's a lot of stigma around HIV. So a lot of people are scared to go get tested, um, because they don't want to know, which I feel like that's very common with all STIs as well. Um, which shouldn't happen. Um, and then also there's a lot of new, uh, preventive methods when it comes to HIV, such as PrEP. And so PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, and so this is like a daily prescription that you would take. Um, you've probably heard of it. The name Truvada, very common. Um, people know that word. 
and just because all the commercials and advertisements for it. Um, but that one's um, to help prevent the spread of HIV before you have HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have to test HIV negative to get that medicine. Um, and then there's also one that I've really never heard of before until I started looking at HIV, which is PEP, which is the mm-hmm. post-exposure um, prophylaxis. Um, and this is another pill that you would take after you've been exposed to HIV within 72 hours to help prevent um, actually getting it. Correct. And it's extremely effective. Yeah, which uh, is crazy to uh, me. At, um, it's like a, almost like an emergency birth control pill. Correct. But yeah. it's an emergency... HIV pill. <laughs> HIV prevention pill. And it, it's extremely effective. So, uh, there, yeah, there's lots of new things coming out about HIV. And I think the main thing to understand is that... You know, just because you have HIV does not mean that it's going to turn into AIDS. Right. And just because you have HIV, it's no longer a death sentence like it was at one time, you know. And I think that's where a lot of the stigma comes from is that it was thought to be, you know, a life-ending, sex life-ending, you know, all of these things. And it's not those things anymore. Uh, The... You know, especially since with the medications that we have now, we can actually have folks who have who are HIV positive, who we can suppress the virus by a cocktail of medications and suppressing the virus down to a zero detection. So for a long time, everybody was talking about, you know, Magic Johnson, how he had AIDS and then he didn't have it anymore. And no, he's always had it. Um, once you test positive, you're never going to not have it again. However, the drugs that he was taking and the drugs that are now available to a much larger percentage of the public who are affected can get the virus down to undetectable in your body. And once it's undetectable, you are no longer able to transmit the virus to anyone else. Right. Um, and also another thing I want to note about HIV is that um, since there is such, like going back to the whole death sentence, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, since that's also commonly, um, it was used against the LGBTQ community, like especially gay men. Um, and they kind of thought that that was, um, a result of the gay community and just blaming all of the stigma and stuff around that. So that's another reason why I feel like a lot of men especially don't want to go get tested Mm -hmm. because then they'll automatically assume that, oh, this is a gay man coming to get tested for HIV, when in reality, like, anyone can contract it. Correct. Yeah, and that's through blood, um, vaginal fluids, seminal fluids, breast milk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get it through a bunch of different things. Yes, correct. Except saliva. Do not ever listen to that. If someone tells you you can get HIV through saliva, they're lying to you. Correct. And you also can't get it from a toilet seat. Which is there, crazy. There was actually, I was just reading about, I had just gotten one of my my sexual health alerts the other day from Google. And it said something, there was a crazy amount of folks who thought that you could get um, STIs from a toilet seat. And it's very not true. So especially HIV, one third of Americans think a toilet can spread STDs. That's what a news article That's came out and wild. said. So, but it's just the <laughs> lack of information and lack of knowing, you know, and fear and fear. And yeah. So, so just uh, just as it relates to HIV, HIV outside of the body is extremely fragile. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is bleeding and they bleed on my desk right now. 
within five seconds of that blood hitting the air, the HIV virus is dead. But that's also with all STIs, So it depends. It depends. So, for instance, hepatitis can actually live in dried blood for up to seven days. Okay. So it depends on what you're talking about, but it's extremely unlikely that anybody would... I mean, I don't go to the, you know the extremes of like lining my toilets. I mean, right. you know, come on. Right. No. It's it's highly unlikely that that would happen. Okay. And especially with HIV. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. We're done with STIs. All right. Which is exciting. There's a lot more like crabs and Oh yeah. There's so many. Trichomoniasis. Um, right. We could talk about a ton. Um but that would take us forever. And like I said, we want to do more podcasts specifically on these because you can talk for hours about just one of them Mm -hmm. um but we just kind of wanted to hit the tip of the iceberg Mm -hmm. um but we're going to go into the last part of this which is we're going to talk about some prevention strategies we've already talked about a lot of those but we also want you guys to understand that if you don't have sex that's perfectly okay you are actually the safest out of all of us because you're not going to get an sti if you're not having sex which is amazing But for those that do, it is important to be cautious and to take these prevention strategies and use them, uh, whether that's oral sex, anal sex, whatever kind of sex, there needs to be some kind of precautions and testing involved. Yeah, I I had, and I use this, this example pretty regularly, I had a student come into my office several years ago and she started crying in the doorway. So I immediately knew like what this was about. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, come in, sit down. And she was crying and she was like, I don't understand. I'm a virgin. I just got diagnosed with genital herpes. I don't understand. Right. And I said, so you mean you've never had someone put a penis in your vagina? And that's what you consider to be right. a virgin. Virgin. Um, and I just used bunny ears on virgin, which I can't <laughs> see. But um, if you are engaging in any type of sexual activity, even if it's your mouth on someone else's genital area, you are at risk for sexually transmitted infection. So when you say you're not sexually active, you need to be very specific about that. You're not sexually active. You're not, no one's penetrating your vagina. No one's penetrating your anus. I occasionally will put one in my mouth. Like all of those things need to be taken. Like you need to be very specific because all of that goes back to what the risks are for you and for your partners. Yeah, that makes sense. And so going into some of those strategies, um, the first one is use a condom. Um, And there's a lot of precautions. (coughs) Sorry, I checked on my Coke. You're fine. Uh, you're fine. Um, so with condoms, there's a lot of there's also some like tips when it comes to condoms. For example, making sure that it is sealed. Um, you can do that with a little pinch test to make sure there's a little bit of air pocket in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that, and as soon as you are opening the condom, don't use your teeth. Don't no use fingernails. no fingernails. Um, just open the condom on the side um, to make sure there's going to be no ripping. To Take the expiration date. Yeah, expiration dates. Make sure it's in a cool, dry place and not um, in a purse or in the car that's going to melt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's also so many different types of condoms. There's latex-free condoms. There's ribbed condoms. There's flavored condoms, which are only supposed to be used for oral sex. Correct. You should only be using flavored lubricant for safer oral sex because the flavored lubricant will throw off the pH balance in the vagina and even in the anus sometimes too and cause bacterial infections from the imbalance. So don't let your prevention strategies cause more STIs or infections. (laughs) Correct and with women I mean women so so or a person with a vagina 
does not even have to have sex in order to get bacterial vaginosis. Right. So it's not considered a sexually transmitted infection, but certain sexual activities can cause a bacterial infection in the vagina. So one of those is throwing off the pH balance, which can be done by using flavored lubricants in the vagina. Yeah, you can also get like a yeast infection too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's typically from the, the friction that happens when things are not wet enough. Oh. So never be afraid to use lube. Right. Lube is... Is, a, is your friend. Yes, it is your friend. And lack of lube is actually the number one reason why condoms break. Because mm. whatever you're doing is not wet enough. So, so wet it to the extreme. Okay, not to the extreme. No, but you know what I mean. Always keep some lube off to the side in case you need a little dabby dab. Right. <laughs> okay, funny. Um, and then also there's other types of barrier methods too. So there's actually vaginal condoms. Absolutely. There's um, internal condoms. The... The company, Viru, who puts them out calls them FC2, so they call them female condoms. Off-label, though, we know that a lot of people use them anally as well, um, you know, not just vaginally. And they are all non-latex, which is great because for folks who have latex allergies, they can always use the internal style condoms. And just a little FYI, you cannot currently buy internal condoms over the counter because of the way that the company is set up now, but they are free to everyone who wants them. So the next time you're at the doctor's office, ask the doctor to write you a prescription for FC2, and you can go to any pharmacy and get 12 for free. Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and then also going back to condoms and how many different types there is, there's a new company called One Condoms, which is a really, really cool company. So basically it's for, um, people that have a penis and they can measure it and everything to make sure that it actually fits. Because I know a really common complaint with condoms is, oh, it's too tight, it's constraining, or it's too loose, whichever one. And so there, this company has taken the initiative to kind of end that. Um, so check that out too, because that's a really cool company. Yeah. I think that the men are really liking the idea of sort of like, it's not a one size fits all condom. Like you can actually get condoms specifically for your penis size. So the company will actually send you this little sort of like paper measuring tape type thing. (laughs) And the, depending on the length and the width of your penis, you, you know, it's like, I need model G12 or, right. or F8. Because we're going to be honest, not all men are magnums. Correct. <laughs> they are not all magnums, but you wouldn't know that by the number of magnums that are taken from our health center. Right. Funny, right? Yeah, it's hysterical. Just use one that actually fits you, okay, Correct. guys? Okay. Anyways, um, I think that's really... And then lastly, it's just obviously you need to get testing. Correct. For every new sexual partner... And if you are in a committed relationship where you are only having sex with one person, then I still recommend every six months uh, because, you know, sometimes accidents happen. Just because, you know, somebody is unfaithful, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't love you. Right. However, it is something for your health and safety. You need to go get tested. And so... You don't have to make, you know, some sort of announcement about it to your partner every right. six months. Just I mean, do it. Just go do it. And that's just part of you keeping, you know, having the whole body health going for you. And then that's also, there's so many different types of testing that happens when you go go get tested. Mm-hmm. So even if you're just doing oral sex and you go tell your doctor, hey, I'm doing oral sex, then you can get tested like a little throat swab to make sure that you don't have any in your throat. Correct. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's just penetrative sex. It could be anything, which we've talked about this whole time. Yes. And another 
another thing to remember, too, especially for men, because, I mean, 10 years ago, you know, somebody with a penis would have to get the Q-tip in the head of the mm-hmm. penis to test for chlamydia and gonorrhea. No one wants that. No, and now there's urinalysis, so you can just tinkle right. in the cup, and they test and, and, and see if done. you have chlamydia or gonorrhea, so it's actually pretty simple. Um, when you go in and get tested and tell them, I want to be tested for everything, which is kind of like a sort of blanket type statement, they are likely going to do chlamydia and gonorrhea and then HIV AIDS syphilis. So they're not going to immediately test for herpes or HPV, other things, unless you have symptoms for those things. And women, just because a doctor or medical provider touches your vagina does not make it a pap smear. So just because you don't need to have a pap smear until you turn 21 does not then mean that you don't need to be tested for sexually transmitted infections if you are sexually active. Right. And I feel like that's a really common, like... They're like, oh, well, I don't need, you know, American Medical Association says 21 for PAPS. Yes, that is correct. But if you're having sex, please get tested. Correct. There there are still well-woman exams. Somebody still needs to do pelvic exams. You know, all of the things. Just making sure everything's good. Just remember that a PAP smear literally refers to a very specific test that is testing, looking for abnormalities in your cervical cells. That's it. It's not testing for anything else. So you have to specifically request these things. Right. And going back to testing, there's so many different websites that you can go on to try to find a testing site. Um, One of my favorites, and I think one of Leslie's favorites, is uh, Yes Means Test, which is a really amazing, I think she's looking it up right now, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, we love this website. You can go on there and you can literally type in your zip code. And there's so many, and you can even specify. So it actually redirects you to the CDC website. So if you just want to go straight to the CDC website, you can do that as well. But you can, there's so many different types. You can look at HIV test, STD test, hepatitis test, vaccines even. And then you can look at the distance where that is to you. Mm-hmm. There's tons of places. There's tons. And then also on top of that, um, you can specify. So if you click on the little STD test tab, it actually, if you want to find a free test, you can find one like that because there's a lot around as well that a lot of people don't know. Correct. Which is really amazing. Um, so take advantage of that. Correct. And last but not least, one of our little things that we're going to leave you with is something that Leslie said yesterday that I really love. If you're going to share your mouth or genital areas with the world, please go get tested. Please do us all a favor. Did I say that? You did. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And so we're going to leave you with that. But thank you for listening to us today. I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, And our little Don't Sweat It STI conversation. Thanks, y'all. And thanks for Leslie and everything that you've done, all the information that you have. Yes, thank you for having me. And we'll post all of our sites and resources in the link below or the bio below as well. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Please get tested and use prevention methods. We love you. Bye. Bye.